They're desperately searching for a joy that is going to last. We even have a philosophy known as hedonism. And what hedonism states is that man's chief end is not to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. But what hedonism states is that man's chief end is their own joy. It's their own satisfaction. Is that we should pursue those things and anything and everything that might provide it for us. You might think, in a day and age like today, in a technological day and age, in a materialistic day and age, in a day and age where we're constantly innovating, where you can get things now, quick and in a hurry, where you can have it your way, you would think in a day like that, that our joy and happiness have risen proportionately to those things. However, that is far from the truth. Since 2008, things like depression and suicide have been on the rise across the board and across the world. It's been particularly on the rise with our young people and with our 20-somethings. In 2021, there was a mass exodus from the job market. Economists call it the Great Resignation. And why were so many people leaving the job market in 2021? Why are so many people today in our day and age, why are they driven away? Why are they struggling with things like depression? Brothers and sisters, because they're searching. They're desperately searching for joy. Now, before I paint this as only a modern problem that only modern man has, let me just remind you that there's a book in the Bible, namely Ecclesiastes, where King David's son, King Solomon, says in this book that he sought his own joy. He sought pleasures and he sought them in anything and everything. One of the richest men, if not the richest man to ever live, tells us that he spared no cost searching for his joy. And what did it all lead to in the end? Well, he tells us that he could never find it. It was all vanity in the end. What Psalm 98 does for us this morning is it causes us to lift our eyes to the source, to the one who has joy and pleasures in his right hand forevermore. That's what our psalm does for us this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this psalm, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump right in. Starting in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our, of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, and with a lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Let's pray together.
Father, I ask in this time that you would be seen. That I would get out of the way and that we would hear glorious and matchless, priceless things from this portion of your holy word. And I pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. One of my favorite stories of surprising joy is actually a holiday story this time of year. It comes to us by a man named Theodore Geisel. He's best known as Dr. Seuss. Now, he writes a story about a Grinch who tries to steal Christmas, and I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with this story. You see, there was a Grinch who hated Christmas. He hated the joy of Christmas. He hated everything about Christmas. He hated the trees and the lights and the stockings and the presents. He even hated the Who's down in Whoville because they loved Christmas. And so what did the Grinch do? He devised a plan. He devised a plan to steal Christmas, or in our terms, to have it canceled. He wanted to have Christmas canceled. And so he devises this plan, and he dresses himself up like Santa Claus, and he dresses his little dog up like a reindeer, perhaps like Rudolph. And then he gets a sleigh, and on Christmas Eve, he rides down into Whoville to steal Christmas. And anything and everything that has anything to do with Christmas, he steals and he loads it up onto his sleigh. So all the presents, all the trees, all the lights, all the stockings, everything that had anything to do with Christmas, he loads it up on his sleigh. And then as the story tells us, he takes it up the side of Mount Crumpet. He takes it all the way up to the tip top where he is going to dump it. That's how the story goes. Afterwards, we're told that the Grinch, at the very summit of Mount Crumpet, he stops and he begins to listen. And now what the Grinch is expecting is this. He's expecting boo-hoo crying. He's expecting that he has just stolen the joy of Christmas. There's no way he would hear anything else but crying. But to his surprise, that's not what he hears. To his surprise, he hears joy. And he hears singing, and he doesn't understand it. Matter of fact, he gets confused by it. And that's when Dr. Seuss tells us this directly from his book. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons, and it came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? You see, the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas is a story of surprising joy. And what Theodore Geisel doesn't tell us, what he doesn't get to, is the, what was the reason for that joy? What is this more of Christmas? But as Christians, we know. We know that the joy of Christmas is that God has come to rescue His people. He has sent His only Son, Jesus, to be born in a cattle trough, as we just sung. To be born in a manger in the lowliest estates to rescue His people. The joy of Christmas is the joy of our conquering King coming to rescue His people. 
this morning in Psalm 98, what we are going to see is that you and I, we can rejoice in worship in our victorious King. We can rejoice in worship in our victorious King. But so many of us, the problem is this, so many of us, we have our gaze too low. We have our eyes focused on the things of this world, things that are good and given to us by a great creator, but things that will not ultimately satisfy the deep longings of our heart, the deep joy that our heart so longs for. It will not satisfy the things of this world. So we must lift up our eyes and rejoice at this victorious king. There's three things. They all start with C. Okay, so hopefully it'll be easy to remember three things that we are to rejoice and worship our king for. And the first one is we rejoice and worship because our king, he communes with his people. Because our God is with us. Because God communes with his people. Our king is with us. I want you to notice a couple of things in our psalm starting out. I want you to notice the singing and joy of this song or psalm, and I want you to see why it is so. Verse 1, it tells us to sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All of the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre and with a lyre and the sound of melody. With a trumpet and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. See, brothers and sisters, we rejoice and we worship. Why? Before the King who is with us. Before the Lord who has come down to rescue us. We can rejoice. Matter of fact, back in verse 4, where it tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. The Hebrew word there is hari'u. Okay, hari'u. I don't expect you to remember that. I had to write it down myself so I would remember it. Uh, So hari'u. But what it means is simply, as we see, to make a joyful noise or to raise a shout, to raise a war cry. The word is often used in context with God's victorious being with his people. God being victorious and being with his people. There's an interesting parallel to this in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Quick context of 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4 is right before the monarchy. Okay, This is right before the first king of Israel. So we're ending the time of Judges, getting ready to uh, go into the monarchy within Israel. And the Israelites had just lost a battle. They lost a battle to the Philistines. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They had lost this battle. So they were trying to figure out what to do. But one of the things that they do is they bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And they bring it into the midst of their people. This thing that symbolizes God's presence. Where we have the mercy seat of God. Symbolizes God's presence with his people. So here are these words from 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 5-8. through 8. I want you to hear the rejoicing that will happen. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout, a hariu, the same word, a mighty shout, so that the whole earth resounded. Why? Because God was with them. Because their leader, their king was with the people. And I want you to hear the impact this had on the Philistines. 
And then we'll come back to this in just a little bit too. Starting in verse 6, it says, And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. But what we see here in our psalm, and what we see here throughout the scripture, was with this Hebrew word, is they are ought to be rejoicing and praise and worship because our victorious king is with us. And now how does God meet with his people today? Well, we're told of a couple of ways that God meets with his people today. Jesus tells us in John 14, 16, that God meets with his people through his spirit. He meets with his people through the Holy Spirit given to those New Testament believers. John 14, 16 says this, Jesus says, I will give you another helper who will be with you forever. How has God come to commune with us? To live in our heart. To live with us. To commune with us. For all of those who would call upon his name and be saved, he would commune with them by moving in, by living with us. We also see throughout the New Testament, that God is going to commune with His people through His church, through the ecclesia, through the body of believers gathered together. Hebrews 10 says this, he says, or the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting that ecclesia, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is drawing near. So why do we give of our time on a Sunday. Certainly because God has commanded us to, right? Absolutely. But why do we come? And why do we come expectantly into this house of the Lord? It's because that God, He condescends to meet with us through ink and paper. He condescends to meet with His people through the preached Word, through sacraments. And what should that do for us? It should cause rejoicing. Because God is in this place. You know, one of my favorite things when I come home is simply this. After a long day of work, or after going on a youth retreat and coming home, I love coming home to my kids. Because what happens is this, and I love coming home to my wife too, but my wife doesn't do this like my kids do. My kids, as soon as daddy gets there, what do they do? They are running full sprint. They usually don't stop. They usually hit me at full power. So they're running at full sprint saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Because when their daddy is present, there's rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be rejoicing. This ought to be the happiest place in the world. Why? Because God is meeting with us here. If you are a believer, we ought to be singing with all of our hearts, with all of our soul. We ought to be singing it out because God meets with His people. That's not the only thing that we see here. Not only are we to rejoice because God communes the first C word, but we are also to rejoice and worship because God has conquered our enemies. 
That's really what we see in verses 1 to 3. I want you to notice here something. As I read these verses again, I want you to notice that it's God who does. Notice the language. God works. God has done. God has done marvelous things. Notice all the work that God has done. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. It was His right hand and His holy arm that have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. It's His salvation. It's His working. We rejoice because our King conquers our enemies. It's His doing. Now, no doubt, part of the backdrop of this rejoicing for these Israelites would have been a remembering. We even see here, He has remembered His steadfast love and the ends of the earth have seen it. So part of this Rejoicing is a remembering how God has conquered our enemies. Okay, and so the Israelites, as they read this, and we should as well, we should remember how God had saved the Israelites from slavery. How God had delivered His people from the oppressive hand of Egypt and the Pharaoh. We should certainly remember the, uh, the Israelites in the time of the judges when people like the Moabites and the Amorites, God raised them up and they afflicted the Israelites. Why? Because the Israelites fell into sin. The Israelites gave themselves over to the things that they should not have and they were oppressed by these people. But then what did God do? He provides salvation. He raises up a judge and He provides salvation for the Israelites. Certainly in Psalm 98, Probably part of the backdrop of Psalm 98 is God giving victory um, to the Israelites over the Philistines. That's part of the backdrop to this whole story. And so they would have certainly remembered stories like David and Goliath, where God had given them victory over and over again. But part of the salvation wasn't going to be just from earthly enemies. Part of the salvation that God would provide for His people was going to be a salvation against their ancient enemies. You know, perhaps by some luck, we'll call it, by some chance, maybe Israelite, the Israelites could have devised a way out of Egypt. Maybe by their own strength, they could have saved themselves. Maybe in the time of the judges, they could have done something to save themselves. Maybe to these Philistines, they could have done something to save themselves. But what is absolutely true is that they could have never saved themselves from their ancient enemies. They were lost and dead in their sin. And that's from the very second chapter of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says it this way. Their ancient enemies. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But praise be to God, thanks be to God, rejoicing be to God who gives us the victory. Our King gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, God has conquered our greatest enemy. 
sin and death. God has conquered that enemy for us at the cross. And by sending us His Son, Jesus, who was born so many years ago, and we celebrate that even at this time of year, Christmas. God was going to conquer all of our enemies. I don't know, uh, I'm not a big soccer guy. Uh, I guess it's called football in other places of the world. Uh, however, this time of year, I do like to watch the World Cup, okay? And I don't know if any of you have been watching the World Cup. I do know some of our youth have been watching the World Cup. Um, and I've been watching a little bit. And what's interesting is this, is you get to see uh, the vast array of emotions that come with the, the fans in the stands of the World Cup. So some of them are rejoicing. They're celebrating. Others are not so much and getting upset and crying and blaming refs and all sorts of things that I would never do. So it's been fun to watch this kind of joy and panic of the World Cup. Um, now, I remember in 2018, France actually won the World Cup. Um, I don't know how many of you even knew that or would have remembered that. But when France came back to their country after winning the World Cup, there was a party. There was a celebration. Matter of fact, I saw pictures, or a video actually, of this huge party that ensued when France returned. They were lined up in the streets and people were singing and rejoicing just to get a glimpse of the team. Just to get a glimpse of their heroes who had conquered all of their opponents at the World Cup. Brothers and sisters, France is going back to war again. In the next couple of days, they just wound up winning another game, and now they're in the semifinals. The victory and the joy of 2018 is now gone, and they're hoping for it again. The joy of Psalm 98 is that our king is conquered, and it is done. Our ancient foe, for all of those who have put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he has conquered. Our victorious King has conquered our enemies. And that work is done because of God. We can rejoice today in that fact. The very last thing that I want to highlight for us is that we can rejoice in worship because our King has not, he's not only communing with us. He's not only conquered our enemies, but our God and King is coming again. He's coming again, brothers and sisters. And he's coming to make all things new. I want you to notice, starting there in verse 7, that there's this personification of nature itself. There's this joy even within nature itself. And we're going to see what causes that joy. Starting in verse 7, it says, Let the seas roar in all that fills it. Let the world and all those who dwell in it let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy before the Lord. Why? For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Brothers and sisters, we can rejoice today. Maybe you're experiencing pain. Maybe you're experiencing the loss or know someone who is. But we can rejoice today because God is going to come. And He is going to make all things 
new. And that's what we see here at the end of this. But this is also a warning. This is also a warning to us. Because this great day of the Lord is coming. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 31-34, He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. But those on his left are sent away into that place of everlasting destruction. Brothers and sisters, this great day of the Lord is coming. It is coming, and Psalm 98 reminds us of the fact. But Psalm 98 reminds us, if we are believers in Jesus, that we can rejoice in this day. We can rejoice because though we may be hurting, maybe we have uh, cancer or some pain or dealing with loss or so much more. Today, in the midst of all of those problems, we can rejoice because our King, He communes with us, because our King has conquered our enemies, and because our King, is coming again to make us new. Rejoice, brothers and sisters, in your victorious King. Let's pray. Father, from beginning to end, Psalm 98 calls us to rejoice. It calls us to worship. But it's not because of anything in us. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of anything in this world. It's because You are our victorious King who has conquered all our enemies, who does commune with His people, and who will come again. And so, Lord, help us to be a body of believers who raise our eyes up, who focus on You, and rejoice at the coming of Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen.